Hi friends, welcome back to Nate Talks to his friends about Jesus. How are you? Oh my friends, I like you a lot. Hey, man, I don't know what to tell you, but we're just going to tell the story of Jesus because it's so compelling on its own. It's just amazing. So hopefully that's okay with you. Anyways, after our events of last week, uh, there's a feast And so Jesus goes up to Jerusalem. You know, there's these annual celebrations. And while he's up at Jerusalem, there's a pool called Bethesda, having five porches or surrounded by five porches there, right? Except this isn't a a place where people are on chaise lounges, sunbathing, right? This, This pool is surrounded by people who are blind, who can't walk, who, who have withered hands or feet, and they're just suffering. And they're waiting for the water to bubble up because they believe that an angel is going down every so often and stirring up the water, and that the first person who gets into the water after it is stirred up by the angel will be cured of whatever disease they have. And there is a guy there who has been there for 38 years. It's a number so staggering of pain and suffering here. 38 years of hope. 38 years. And when Jesus saw him and knew how he had been there this long time in this crippled state, He said, will you be made whole? And the guy is like, I'd love to. But I I don't have anybody to carry me down into the water after the angel comes. And when I'm struggling to get down there, another one enters in before. Now, I don't know if we should be super critical of him thinking he's superstitious. I think we miss out on miracles because we could put a box around God. God can only operate in that way. I don't want to live in that world anymore. But Jesus says to him, rise, rise, take up thy bed and walk. And immediately the man was made whole. He took up his bed and he walked. But Jesus is kind of playing games, lasers upon layers. He does this out of generosity, but he also deliberately does this on the Sabbath day. I'm, I'm just, um, I'm asking you when it comes to miracles, don't put boxes around what God can do. Don't say what is scientifically possible. Go full send on your faith. Do the mental work to trust God like you have never trusted God before. But as the man walks away from this place carrying his bed, there's a a group of individuals that say, it's the Sabbath day. It's not lawful for thee to carry thy bed. I want you to think of a time that you were this man that was healed and just so grateful. Can you inhabit what it would be like to be this man? feels good, right? But now this one's going to be a little bit uncomfortable. But let's do the opposite. 
when is there a time that you have been, these people are saying, you're not supposed to do that. Come on now, be honest. Who, who would be, what would be the thing or who would be the person that you see them and you're just like, why do you do things this way? It's so frustrating. It's so annoying. Can you just do something simple? Know what I'm saying? We are so quick to throw stones at these Pharisees, but they're the good ones. Be careful. And I would just say, like, let's just lay off trying to tell people what they can do and not do. Like, I'm not even saying just with the gospel. Like, there are far too many Karens in this world already. And here's the problem. Number one, it's annoying. Number two, the root problem is you're trying to make the world meet your expectation in order for you to be comfortable. And when everything has to be just so for you to be okay, you will never be okay. So stop. Anyways, back to the story. The guy that was healed says, the, the man that made me whole, he told me to take up his bed and walk and he made me whole. So I'm doing what he told me to. And they're like, who told you to do that? Uh, and he, he said, he, I don't know. He said, like he just healed me and he left. But afterwards, Jesus finds that same guy. And he says, thou art made whole, sin no more. And that man departed and told the Jews that it was Jesus which made him whole. He's like, it was Jesus. Now, I think he's trying to do good, but the, there are certain Pharisees that are like, we got to kill him. This guy is just stirring up too, many, too much trouble. Meanwhile, Jesus' cousin John gets arrested by Herod. You remember, he's one of the kings that rule in this region. Not Herod that tried to kill Jesus. This is his son. Now, the reason John the Baptist gets arrested could come straight out of a soap opera. Though, in all honesty, that's kind of an assumption on my part because it's been uh, a bit since I saw soap opera. Like, my grandma liked to watch them back in the day, so it's probably been since I was a kid. But anyway, soap opera. See, there's this woman named Herodias who gets married to King Philip, that's Herod's brother, stepbrother, and has a daughter named Salome. Then, in a reality TV show move, she runs away and marries Philip's brother Antipas, Herod Antipas, without getting a divorce from Philip, which is very much against the law of Moses. Uh, dude, I'm telling you, it's white trash shady no matter where or when you live. <laughs> right? So, you, you follow one, right? Like, this woman marries a brother, then gets tired of him and marries the other brother without ever getting a divorce, okay? You following? And John the Baptist is a pretty straight shooter, so he says, you can't do that. <laughs> so this deeply offends Herodias because he is publicly pointing out that she is, how do we say politely, of loose moral character. So she loses it and starts putting pressure on her new husband, Herod Antipas, and Antipas appeases her and has John the Baptist arrested. Uh, therefore, Herodias had quarrel against John and would have killed him, but she could not. 
What an unbalanced, spoiled, psychotic, ancient, real housewife of Galilee right here. Like, here's the reason she cannot, because her new husband, Antipas, feared John. Knowing he's a just man, knowing he's a holy man, and he actually, like, listens to him. But one day, it's Antipas's birthday, and um, they have this big feast with all his lords, all his high captains, all the, the chief estate, like, I don't know, it's kind of a feudal system type time, right? Lords and whatever, and all the big wigs are there at the party. And during this party, um, the daughter of said Herodias comes in and danced. And this pleased Herod and them that sat with him. And the king said unto the damsel, ask me whatsoever thou wilt, and I will give thee. Like, ask me whatever you want, and I'll give thee up to half my kingdom. I'm just submitting to you right here. The dance she performed is not the polka. It's probably risque in some form here. Which just adds to this whole, like, psychotic real housewife vibe right here. Anyway, Salome goes back to her mom, Herodias. And she's like, Mom, what should I ask for? And her mom says ask for the head of John the Baptist. Mom, dang, that got dark quick. But the girl being an obedient daughter, and you see like shades of Jaredites here. If you go back and review that story like this, there's nothing new right here. So she goes back to Antipas and she says, I want you to give me John the Baptist's head on a platter. And Antipas is just sobered up and sorry. He doesn't want to do it, but he made a vow. And everybody's watching. And so he doesn't want to go back on his word with everybody watching the peer pressure. You think sometimes that when you're a grown-up human being that that peer pressure doesn't work anymore. Nobody tells you that it still does. It's not just for teenagers. Maybe just consider those moments that you even as an adult are feeling that pressure. and You don't know what to do and you feel stuck. But he goes and he sends for the executioner. And John the Baptist is beheaded. And his head is brought in on a platter and given to Salome. And Salome gives it to her mother Herodias who's a psychopath. Now, when John the Baptist heard about this, they came and take his corpse and have a burial for him. And Jesus receives this information through the grapevine, through the disciples. And as you can imagine, he is distraught by this information. And they decide to go away to a a wilderness place to rest for a while to kind of get your head right. And they decide to go to the wilderness place because they, they have no space in any of, even a, a city of a moderate size. People just swarm Jesus all the time. He, he doesn't even have time to eat most of the time. So they sneak away to a private place by ship, go out to the middle of nowhere. But people see Jesus departing and they ran. They ran and actually make it to the landing spot before him. 
That's how much they, they are just in awe of this guy. And when Jesus comes off the boat, he saw much people. And come on now, you and I were like, can I not have one minute? All I want is one minute. Can you not just give me one minute? But notice Jesus. He, and this is a guy mourning the murder of his, his, his friend, right? His cousin, this closeness, mourning him. But when he sees these people, he's moved with compassion towards them. So he sat down and began to teach them began to change their perspective in their life. I don't know many other moments that reveal Jesus' character so completely. The rest of us, when we're tired, frazzled, overwhelmed, stressed, we just snap and get angry and generally treat other people poorly. And they have to excuse us because we're having a bad day. But watch Jesus, man. Watch what our God is really like. After teaching them for a a long day, it's getting to be evening time, his his disciples come up to Jesus and they're like, dude, we're in the middle of the nowhere. It's late afternoon. Send these people home. They got a long trip in front of them because most of them ran out here with nothing to eat. They weren't prepared. And Jesus is like, give them something to eat. They're like, what are you talking about? Like, even if we had enough money to buy all these people to eat, like, where are we going to get enough food for them to eat? And he's like, well, what food do you have? They're like, dude, not enough for these people. We have like five loaves of bread, maybe, and two small fishes. And he's like, well, have everybody sit down. So they sit down. I'm like, we're talking hundreds of people here, right? <laughs> thousands of people here they sit down in companies of hundreds and then jesus takes the the five loaves he takes the two fishes and he looks up to heaven and he blesses it notice faith here notice how it operates notice the action here and he gave it to his disciples and and he said give them to eat Notice just the action here. Like you, this teaches us so much about how faith actually is. And they took the five loaves and the fishes and they started distributing it. And it's crazy because everybody eats and everybody is filled. 5,000 men eat and are filled. Now, here's a lesson, uh, just a, a side note that I want you to take away from this. Whatever we contribute, God can magnify. Don't think that your offering is small. Don't think that it's stupid. A million times one is still a million, but a million times zero is zero. Give what you can give broken and stupid and whatever i don't even care janky give your janky gift but when you do know that god will magnify it more than your wildest dreams give nothing and he can do nothing 
your little offering can make a huge difference. And what better place to make your small offering than your own home? Like watch Richard G. Scott's little offering here. He says, one night our little son Richard, who had a heart problem, woke up crying. Normally my wife always got up to take care of a crying baby, but this time I said, I'll take care of him. Your little offering, right? Because of his problem, when he began to cry, his little heart would pound very rapidly. He would throw up and soil the bed clothing. That night I held him very close to try and calm his racing heart and stop his crying. I changed his clothes and I, I put on new bed sheets. I held him until he went to sleep. I didn't know then that just a few months later he would pass away. I will always remember holding him in my arms in the middle of that night. Hmm. Here's another one. Elder Holland tells the story of Brother Barris. Brother Barris grew up on a large farm uh, in Idaho, and he had a nightly assignment to round up the cows at milking time. Because the cows pastured in a field bordered by the, the occasionally treacherous Teton River, the strict rule in the Barris household was that during the spring flood season, the children were never to go after any cows who ventured across the river. They were always to return home and seek mature help. One Saturday, just after his seventh birthday, Brother Barris's parents promised the family a night at the movies if the chores were done on time. But when, when young Klein Barris arrived at the pasture, Brother Barris that is, right Klein? The cows he saw had crossed the river even though it was running at high flood stage. Knowing his rare night at the movies was in jeopardy, he decided to go after the cows himself, even though he had been warned many times not to do so. As the seven-year-old urged his old horse Banner down into the cold, swift stream, the horse's head barely cleared the water. An adult sitting on the horse would have been safe, but at Klein Barris's tender age, the current completely covered him except for when the horse lunged forward several times, bringing Klein's head just above the water enough to gasp for air. Here we go to Klein Barris's own words. When Banner finally climbed the other bank, I realized that my life had been in grave danger, and that I had done a terrible thing. I had knowingly disobeyed my father. I felt that I could redeem myself only by bringing the cows home safely. Maybe then my father would forgive me but it was already dusk and I didn't know for sure where I was. Despair overwhelmed me and I was wet and cold and lost and afraid. I climbed down from Old Banner, fell to the ground by his feet and began to cry. Between thick sobs, I offered a prayer, repeating over and over to my Father in Heaven, I'm sorry, forgive me, I'm sorry, forgive me. I prayed for a long time. When I finally looked up, I saw through my tears a figure dressed in white walking toward me in the dark. I felt certain it must be an angel sent in answer to my prayers. I did not move or make a sound as the figure approached. So overwhelmed was I at what I saw. Would the Lord really send an angel to me who had been so disobedient? 
And then a familiar voice said, Son, I've been looking for you. In the darkness, I recognized the voice of my father and ran to his outstretched arms. He held me tightly and then said gently, I was worried. I'm glad I found you. I tried to tell him how sorry I was, but only disjointed words came out of my trembling words. Thank you, darkness, afraid, river, alone. Later that night, I learned that when I had not returned from the pasture, my father had come looking for me. When neither I nor the cows were to be found, he knew I had crossed the river and was in danger. Because it was dark and time was of the essence, he removed his clothes down to the long thermal, white thermal underwear, tied his shoes around his neck, and swam the treacherous res- river to rescue his wayward son. <laughs> Man, it kills me. Other Holland again, my beloved brothers and sisters, I testify of angels, both heavenly and the mortal kind. In doing so, I am testifying that God never leaves us alone, never leaves us unaided in the challenges that we face, nor will he, so long as time shall last or the earth shall stand or there shall be one man or woman or child upon the face of, of the earth, therefore to be saved." Small offerings, right? Wherever you find yourself, give what you can give. You will find that those moments are pregnant with eternity. Now, after they feed him, after Jesus, sorry, after Jesus feeds them, he perceives that they would come and take him by force to make him king because. He can give them food out of nothing. So he tells his disciples to get into the ship and to start selling to the other side and he'll get rid of the multitude. Well, finally, he convinces them he's not going to be their king. He sends them away. And finally, late at night, already exhausted, he finally gets some time to get his own head right. He goes up to the mountain by himself and he prays. He's there for quite a while. Now the ship with his disciples in it, there's actually a storm. And they're tossed in the waves and the wind is going against them. And in the fourth not watch of the night, this is way into the middle of the night, right? Jesus goes out to them, walking on the sea. And the disciples see this figure walking on the sea and they're like, we're going to die. Like, I, like I, I see somebody walking on the water. I'm thinking, <laughs> I don't know, man. I, I, I can only, I scan for negativity, I guess. I would think this is the end, man. The Grim Reaper or something like that. Something crazy. And they're troubled. But Jesus says to them, be of good cheer. It is I. Be not afraid. Notice how often that's the message. Be not afraid. It's a command. And Peter, oh man, I love this man. He says, if it's really you, tell me to come out on the water. And Jesus is like, come out on the water. (laughs) And Peter comes down out of the ship and walks on the water to go to Jesus. He walks on the water. I've tried. I've tried. I don't know how he does it. 
but the wind is strong and the waves are high. And Peter's afraid. And when he is afraid, he begins to sink. And he says, Jesus, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretches forth his hand, catches Peter and says, Oh, thou of little faith, why did you doubt? And they come into the ship and the wind ceases and they worship Jesus and they're like, you are the son of God. Can I ask you something though? Can I ask you the same question? Oh, thou of little faith, why are you doubting? Why? Will you choose to do the mental, emotional, and spiritual work to actually trust? To believe, contrary to all evidence, that it's going to be amazing, that miracles happen? Stop with like the, the scientific boundaries that have to happen here. Will you just trust? Now, the next day, and the, the people go back out to where Jesus was and they see that he's gone and there was no other boats there. So they're like, how did they get there? So they, they go and they, they grab a bunch of boats and they sail over across um, the, the Sea of Galilee to Capernaum and they find Jesus. And when they, they, like they're looking for him and when they finally find him, they're like, Rabbi, Master, when did you come over here? And Jesus is, is a little bit like, guys, I don't feel like you're being sincere here because after the whole feeding them thing, and then they're like, you should be our king. He's like, you don't get it here. And he says, you are looking for me not because of miracles. You're looking for me because you ate food and were filled and it was easy. You don't want to be in the kingdom of God. You want a Burger King right here. He's like, you've got to reorient your minds. Stop worrying so much about just food. Worry about the everlasting food. Worry about the everlasting life that the son of man will give unto you. Like if you'll pay attention, I'll give you something completely different because God, the father has sealed me. And I can help you. And they're, then they're like, what shall we do? That we might work the works of God. Like we, they, they, They're like, well, okay, well, we'll do it. He's like, here's the work. And this is the same work we were just talking about. Here's the work. Believe on him that God hath sent. That's the work. Mm-hmm. Consider that the work is faith. And they said unto him, do you have a sign for us that we'll believe? Our fathers ate man in the desert. He's like, how about more food for a sign? He's can you imagine the frustration Jesus feels? I imagine him like rubbing his forehead and he's like, he's like, Moses gave them food, but I'm going to give you true bread from heaven. The bread of God is he that comes down from heaven and giveth life to the world. 
Now, this is confusing. Uh, like, the, the way it's even phrased here is confusing. You might be critical of these people for not getting it, but you wouldn't get it. I'm telling you, you're not special or exceptional. Even his disciples were a little bit like, this is weird the way he's talking. He's like, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger. He that believeth on me shall never thirst. And he's like, but you guys don't get it. You don't believe. He's like, I came down from heaven not to do my own will, but to do the will of the Father. And and he's like, everybody that comes to me, I will raise up at the last day. And the people listening to him are like, what are you saying? I'm the bread of life that came down from heaven. Now they're from the area. They know that this is Joseph's son. They're like, we know your dad. We know your mom. <laughs> How are you saying like, like we, we saw you grow up. Dude, I've known you since you were six, bro. I came down from heaven. What, what are you talking about? And he's like, stop complaining. Nobody can, no man can come to me except the father which has sent me. Draw that person to me. And I will raise that person up at the last day. That's a bold claim for a carpenter. That I will resurrect you. I will raise you up. Verily I say unto you, he that believeth on me hath everlasting life. Now notice that everlasting life extends in both directions. If you are waiting for heaven to be happy, you're not understanding Jesus. He is trying to bless your life right now. If you're just trying to be good enough so that you can eventually get the reward, mm, you're missing it. Your fathers did eat manna in the wilderness and they are dead. This is the bread which come down from heaven. And a man may eat thereof and not die. I am that bread. I'm the living bread that came down from heaven. If any man eat this bread, he shall live forever. The bread that I give him is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. Now, I'm telling you, this is deliberately weird and off-putting. Jesus is deliberately being like, eat my flesh. We're like, he's talking about the sacrament and bread that we break. No, that's not a thing right now. He is deliberately putting in their minds like this image of cannibalism and eating his flesh. They are not slow. Jesus is being shocking on person, on purpose. And they're like, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? And Jesus goes even more full send on this. Except ye eat the flesh, my flesh, and drink my blood, you have no life in you. And they're like, what? Whoso eat my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life and I'll raise him up the last day. For my flesh is true food. My blood is true drink. He that eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood dwelleth in me and I in him. As the living Father hath sent me, I live by the Father. So he that eateth me, even he shall live. Now, this is high-level metaphor here. 
it fits with his pattern of parabolic teaching, but it also fits with the fact that almost nobody gets it when he says it. Now, he is saying that you need to have him, the Christ, dwelling in you now. Okay, now listen to me. Stop with this nonsense of self-worship. Stop it already and accept Jesus' redemption to save you, to change you, to be a part of who you are. This is not a claim to perfection. This is a claim to redemption, that you will be raised up because of him, not because of you. That is the invitation right here. And the people listen to this and they're like, this is hard to understand and very unpleasant. Like, like this dude talking about cannibalism and blood drinking? Like this, That's just too much, man. That's not very Christ-like, Jesus. You can't say that. <laughs> you can't talk about vampirism and cannibalism and compare it to spirituality. They're like, that's just weird, dude. How, how am I supposed to take you seriously as a spiritual leader? Another Bible translation says, this is difficult and harsh and offensive. Who can be expected to listen to it? In the original Greek, the people are saying that Jesus is speaking in a way that is harsh and offensive. In other words, they're like, that's weird. You can't just go off spouting utter nonsense no matter how many free burgers you give away. And Jesus says, are you offended? Ooh, man, imagine what Jesus would do to our offense first culture. <laughs> oh, do not think for a minute he would not light up everything that you find delicate. He would find your tender bits and he would press on them. He would find a moment to offend you. I'm telling you he would. He's like, are you offended? What if I tell you that I am... <laughs> <laughs> what if I were to tell you that I'm going to ascend up to heaven? What if I were to say, I'm going to be a God? And they're like, okay, dude, come on, man. You're obviously a prophet, but like a God, I know where you live. From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. They turned away and deserted him. It's real. They like melt away. It's just too weird. And Jesus turns to the 12 and he's like, will you also go away? Again, Peter, I love this answer. He's like, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life and we believe and are sure that thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. He doesn't even claim that he gets it. He's just like, where else are we going to go? I love this. Here's the thing. You are going to have jarring and unpleasant experiences in the church. Sometimes because it's a large bureaucracy and sometimes because we're dealing with a bunch of flawed humans. And frankly, sometimes all of us have moments where we just straight suck at being good Christians. And it's going to hurt and it's going to be painful and you are going to be offended. You are going to be hurt. But I love Peter's answer. Where else are we going? 
Like, he makes no claim it wasn't rough, abrasive, confusing. Uh, but that's not the point at issue. The point at issue is thou hast the words of eternal life. Thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. See, as dumb as things are sometimes, this church is the place that has direct links to God through covenants, authorized by restored priesthood. We have some of the most robust doctrine of redemption available anywhere. We have some of the most astounding teachings on the true nature of God, our own nature, and the staggering possibilities of eternity and fantastic community support. I I mean it. I I really do. Like, I'm with you. I do not downgrade any of the offensive things that happen. It's real. It hurts. It stinks. But to whom else shall we go? Like, I really looked around. This is, this is a wonderful. What we have is staggeringly good, really. I think if you're having a rough patch, don't desert it. Don't throw it out. In fact, I'd counsel you to do the exact opposite. Lean in. Do good within the church. Enjoy what it has to offer and stop stressing out over its imperfections. You don't have to fix it. We believe in God. He's got this. You're not the boss here. Like I say this to my kids all the time when they try and boss each other. You're, you're not the dad here. You're not the dad here, okay? Imagine, imagine as a, this, this as a conversation with God. God comes to you and he's like, how's it going? And you're like, it sucks. A tree's all weird and bumpy. It's growing in funky directions. I don't like it. It should be more uniform, right? God's like, uh, okay. And remember, this is a metaphor for what we're talking about the church, right? How about this? A different conversation with a different person. God comes down. He's like, how's it going? He's, and you're, the person's like, this place rocks. Check out that tree. It's so unique and individual and growing despite the downward suck of gravity. <laughs> it's crazy. God's like, agreed. I think it's amazing too. I love it. Me too. Thanks for this. God's like, for sure. Anything I can do for you? You get how the tone's different? Same situation. And here, do you hear what I'm really saying about church here? Do you hear what I'm really saying about Jesus here? Do you hear what I'm really saying about our eternal Father in heaven? Will you do the mental, emotional, and spiritual work to trust like you have never trusted before? Try it. I like it. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen.